Man, that was awesome. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting because as, as we were worshiping, I'm just digging on worship, right? Um, when we were in, in Uganda, um, they, they, they lose weight when they're worshiping because they are burning calories. And I thought I kind of swayed a little bit. It's like, mm-mm, they are moving. And, uh, and I was telling, because uh, they go for, I mean, for a long, long time, which is awesome. Um, but anyways, it, it was just, I was just like digging on worship and just excited. I'm digging on what God's doing in so many ways. You know, as, as Jerry came up here and was sharing about uh, that uh, women's uh, one-day seminar that they're doing, Again, these young ladies are, have grown up in our church. That uh, Erica and, and what's the matter, Sam? Again, you did this last week. Um, anyways, um, <laughs> um, uh, Erica and Jackie, man, they both grew up in our church, and they're going to be sharing with you, ladies. And I'm just so excited for that. Um, you know, usually I'm studying on Saturday mornings, but I think I'm going to like ditch a little bit so I can come and just kind of check it out a little bit because I'm so proud of these young ladies of what God's doing, and I, I, I you know what, I want to throw out this invitation to you men personally about this man, uh, men's retreat, I'll, I'll call it a man retreat, if you're a man, be there, um, because um, it, it's kind of interesting, because you've noticed there's no guest speaker up there, um, I'm doing the whole thing, and so you got me for all weekend, you're probably going, now I'm not going, no, you gotta go, you gotta go, I mean, what the Lord is laying on my heart, man, I, I just, I want every man there. I want every stinking man there. Um, because I just believe that God wants to call us out. He wants to call us out as a man of God. And so you need, I need to be there. Well, I'm going to be there, but you need to be there. But what I'm really excited about this morning is that after a month off in the book of Revelation, um, with our short-term mission to Uganda, and then the testimonies that we shared last week. Uh, excited about all that, but we are back in our series of Christ Revealed. Um, but I must say, even before I get to that, I am so blessed. I am, I am a blessed man, and, and, and I am truly honored to have a man like Pastor Gary uh, that comes and serves alongside of me, that when I am gone, I have no worries about him throwing down the gospel and, and teaching you the Word of God. Um, and I know that because I know His heart. I know that He will pour into you. Um, he, he understands my heart, but I know He has a heart Himself to, to share the gospel. And so I'm just so blessed to, to, to have a man like that. You know, I, whenever I listen to him, and whenever I get the privilege of sitting and listening to him and sitting under him, I, I, again, I'm just so blessed because he, he's a really good teacher. But I was made aware of the fact that... Uh, while I was gone those two weeks, um, no one cried. No one cried. And then that I get back to the pulpit and everybody in the room is crying, you know, especially the guy behind the pulpit. It's like, <laughs> I can't help it. It was an emotional week last week, man, sharing what God did in Uganda. Jeez, you know, I got a little teary-eyed, a little choked up, and a lot of people did. But, um, but I just think, well, Gary doesn't make you cry. He doesn't cry. He just doesn't cry. I don't understand him, but hey, God bless him. But if you will, turn, if you will, if you're not there already, to Revelation chapter 2, as we get into the fourth church of the seven churches that Jesus is addressing in Revelation 
chapter 2 and chapter 3, seven churches that he addresses, that, that, that he makes a point to talk to. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll be covering the fourth church. We will be starting in verse 18 of chapter 2 to the end of the chapter. Uh, it's interesting because most believe that this fourth church is the smallest of all the seven churches, but yet it is, uh, it, it more is written to it than any other church. And so it's kind of odd that here's a small, and some say unimportant, insignificant kind of church in regards to some of the other churches. This one was small, and yet he has so much to tell them. And so let's read and hear what Jesus says has to say to the church of Tyatira. Now, I will say this um, before I read. It's Tyatira. 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 I will put an R in there every once in a while because I've always like messed up that, that name. So if I say Tyatira, um, you know I'm, th- I'm saying Tyatira. So if, you, know, you don't have to correct me afterwards as some of you like to do. Um, it's like <laughs> you mispronounced it. It's like duh. Okay, yeah, I mispronounce a lot of things, but just to let you know, I've always had a, a hard uh, problem with Tyatira, Tyatira. So, just throwing it out there, okay? Chapter 2, Revelation, verse 18. And to the angel of the church of Tyatira, write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all, the church that, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you, I say, and to the rest in Tyra, Tyra, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. But hold fast, that you uh, hold fast to what you have, until till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works, until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and they shall be dashed into pieces like the potter's vessel, as I also have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear 
what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's just take a time to just quiet our hearts and just you pray, ask the Lord that God would speak to you and that you would pray for me as we deliver this message. So let's just quiet our hearts before the Lord. Lord, do, do the work that you want to do in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go back and start in verse 18, where, where, where he talks once again, and to the angel of the church, the Thyatira, write. And, and once again, I just kind of want to remind you, I know I've, been, I've done this several times, but I want to remind you since we've had a month off, getting back into the seven letters that, uh, that is written, that each one is written to the angel of, of each particular church that he is addressing. Now, these are messengers that are being sent out, or there's a message being sent out to them that they are to deliver to the church that they are, are over, um, whether they are literal angels or pastors of the particular church. It, it's not a clear-cut answer that we have there as to who they are, but what is important is the message. And that's what I want to continue to emphasize as we're going through these seven letters, that it doesn't matter who the messenger is because some people can get caught up. It's like, no, I need to know. It's like, well, too bad. Get used to disappointment here, you know. Um, we don't know exactly, and you can study it all you want, and you can lean that way or that way. But it, the messenger is not what is important. It is the message that these messengers have and they were to deliver these messages to each church that they were a part of, however they were a part of. And so they were faithful in accomplishing that task. And, and I say that because, again, when God has given us a message, sometimes the message is directly just for us, but sometimes He gives us a message for other people, and we need to be responsible for that message that God has given to us. Now, all of us have been called to preach the gospel, and so if God has given us a message, then we should accomplish and be faithful to the task at hand, just like these messengers were. The church of Thyatira, um, this church was more inland than all the other churches that we've already studied. Again, if you've looked at your maps and you see from Ephesus that to Smyrna to Pergamos, that Pergamos was the, the northern part, and now it's going to start heading down inland. And, 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 and Tyra Tyra was, was about 35 miles southeast of Pergamos. It was about 42 miles inland from the Asian Sea. And so again, if, if you like looking at Max, get used to where he's going because he's, he's kind of making this, this horseshoe, kind of oblong horseshoe, but you know, he's, he's kind of doing that. And, and so today, Tyatira is known as uh, um, Askishar. Askishar. And it sits in a fruitful but... but fertile plain that is surrounded by mountains. Again, I, I love looking at pictures to, to wrap my head around where these things are. And so just kind of looking online and just seeing the, the, the vastness of this, 
of this plain and the mountains around it is just a beautiful surrounding. It was and still is a very busy commercial center. It's known for cotton, wool cloth, fruits, and dyes. And it's interesting because the first time that we run across the city or the place, Tyra Tyra, is, is in Acts chapter 16 when, when the Apostle Paul was in the city of Philippi and he runs into this one lady whose name is Lydia. And it tells us even there that she was a seller of purple. And again, this place was known for its dyes. And she, she was a businesswoman who, who, who was maybe off on business in Philippi selling her wares and selling these things. But, but she comes to know Jesus. And she invites Paul to come to where she is staying. She had a house there, and she encouraged him to come and spend some time. So I could only imagine, because he ended up going, because you don't say no to a woman like that, that probably wanted to feed him too. So it's like, yeah, heck yeah, I'll go stay there. But be that as it may, it is more than likely that he has just poured into her in the short time that he was in Philippi. And because she became a believer, more than likely she is the one that brought the gospel to the city of Tyra, which is again in Asia Minor, but you know we don't have a book that's de- dedicated to them. It doesn't ever tell us that Paul went there, but the gospel was there, and there was a church that was birthed there, and we don't know exactly who it was, but it's quite possible that it was Lydia. It wasn't a huge city, but they had a lot of trade because it was on the major route from Pergamos down to uh, Sardis, the next church that we will be looking at, there was this major route that, 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 that it was like right in the middle. And so there was a lot of commerce, a lot of things that happened in that place. Um, it also had a number of trade guilds or union, trade unions. And that's very important for us to understand that. These, these guilds, these unions, such as the Tailors Guild or Union, the woodworkers, tanners, bakers, dyers, and so forth, there were all these unions that were a part of this place because of all the commercial that was going on there, all the, all the stuff that was happening. And these guilds or unions were so powerful, very powerful in that day. And there was so many of them practically for every... Um, every trade, there was a guild, there was a union attached to them. And if you were not part of one of these unions or guilds, you just didn't work. And it was hard to sell your wares and make a living. Now again, this, is, this, this became or had become a huge problem for the Christians that lived in Tyatira, as we shall see in a little bit. So giving you a little bit of that background, let's, let's continue on where it says, these things says the Son of God. It's interesting because many have claimed that Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. He never claimed deity. And I beg to differ because here we see him claiming to be the Son of God. In, in the first chapter, John refers to him as the son of man, and he was that because he was born of a man or, or born here in this, uh, as a man. But, 
but he was the son of God and he refers to himself as the son of God. And every time that you're reading in the scriptures, especially in the gospels, whenever you see that the Jews wanted to kill him is because he had been claiming deity. So the reason for his death was because he put himself at the same level of God. And so those people that say, well, he never claimed to be God. It's like, no, he got killed over it because of it. And every time the Jews wanted to kill him, it was because he was claiming deity. Now, it was important for him to introduce himself with that title to this church. As a matter of fact, to this city, the city of Thyatira. Because you see, this was the city that worshipped the sun god, Apollos, who was the son of Zeus. And so they had that worship going on in that place. And so Apollos was the son of Zeus. And so Jesus says, I am the son of God who is coming and speaking to you here. And so it was important that he even referred to himself in that manner. And after referring to himself with that title as the son of God, he says, who has eyes like a burning uh, or like a uh, flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Once again, Jesus is making reference to himself of the description that, that John gave us in the first chapter. In chapter 1, he, he refers to him as the Son of Man, but he talks about his eyes having this fire, this flame of fire, and that his feet were as fine brass. And so Jesus uses each one of the descriptions that we covered and we kind of just skimmed through for the most part in chapter 1 because I knew that in each church he would identify himself with one of those descriptions in chapter 1. So what, what John saw in chapter 1, Jesus explains a little bit more and it's interesting because every description that, that John gives us in chapter 1, Jesus uses to the seven letters, to to each one in particular, and there was a reason for the description in chapter 1 that he uses in chapters 2 and 3. The fact that his eyes are like a flame of fire speaks of judgment. Judgment that is able to penetrate. He's able to penetrate the facade the, the, the outward. He's, he's able to penetrate the disguise that, 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 that people would put on. He sees beyond the outward. And with his eyes, he penetrates like fire through all the superficial that people put on and the churches put on. And I think, again, because of where this church is at, he has to say that his eyes are a flame of fire because there was, even though the church looked good on the outside, there was some stuff that was happening inside. And he says, I see that. I burned through all of that because there is nothing hidden from him who sees it all. Outwardly, again, this church looked so good and they looked so busy and, and, and he commends them for that. But there were these deep, dark secrets <laughs> that couldn't escape he who sees the darkness as if it was light. His flame of fire speaks of judgment. 
And, and, and it's interesting because he always judges in righteousness. That's who God is. He judges in righteousness. And it's funny because oftentimes we try to hide things that are deep down in our hearts and in our lives. And we think that it's all cool, but, but, but nobody else can see it, right? But Jesus does. He knows the deep, dark, down secrets that, that we have here in our hearts and nobody else knows, not even your spouse at times. And yet Jesus says, I see it. And it's almost like just confess it and fess up to it because I see it and I will judge it eventually. It will come forth. Not, if not in this life, it, at the judgment seat of Christ, it will come forth and it will be burned up. And so it's like repent. <laughs> repent now and get it exposed in your life for or to Him. Because he sees the darkness as if it was like everything is made manifest in, in front of him. Because his eyes are like flames of fire, man. It just burns away the outskirts and penetrates the heart. And his feet, like fine brass, which also speaks of judgment. But here, it also emphasizes his, Jesus' steadfastness. When it talks about his feet, his, his strength, being immovable and unmoved because his feet are like fine brass, burnished, um, white, hot brass or bronze. The strength that, that comes with that metal. And so it speaks of his judgment that he will not be moved when he has to deal with all these things to judge. You see, Jesus has the ability to trample sin injustice and evil underfoot he is able to do that with the authority to punish it as well he has the authority to punish sin he has the authority to punish injustice and evil because you see everything melts before him nothing can stand before him like that because he will always stand firm in his judgments as well Unless, unless you repent. If there is no repentance, judgment comes. And he will not be moved. In verse 19, he commends them by saying, I know your works. I know your works. Love, service, patience. Love, service, faith, and patience. And he says... As for your works, the last are more than the first. And so we know that, that this church, even though we're going to get into the things that he is against, he commends them for their works. And we know that from the end of this verse, as we just read, their works, they had grown in their works. They had grown from where they had started as far as the good works that they were supposed to be doing. In other words, they... They had grown or were growing in grace because of their good works. Now we know, or at least I, I hope you do know, that works is not what saves us. But once we are saved, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.10 that we are called to do good works. We're not saved because of them. We're saved by grace, as that portion of Scripture tells us. And we are now created for good works. And according to James chapter 2, we are to grow in good works. 
What good is our faith is there, if there's no works attached to it, James says. Not because you have to work to be saved, but because you are saved, there, there's, a, there, there's, there's a fruit that comes with that. But look at what comes from the works that he mentions in verse 19. The, the, these things were active in the church of Tyatira. These works, they led to, to love, service, faith, and patience. And these are four qualities that, that, that should be in all of us as Christians in our Christian life. Because of our works, love, service, faith, and patience should be attached to that. Because love always leads to service in, in, in Christianity. Because if we love God, we will serve His people. Unless we're serving others, we really, people will not be able to know if we truly love God. See, I could tell you I love God all day long, but if I'm not serving His people, what good is this love going this way? So if I say I love God, then it will be manifest in how we serve. And that's what was happening there. Serving others is an outward expression of the heart that is full of love. It, it, it will be a natural byproduct <laughs> of what God has done in our hearts. And faith, it leads to patience. Or in some translations, perseverance. When we know or when we have faith that God is in control of everything <laughs> and that He is working everything out for His good purpose, Because of that, He helps us to persevere. Because we trust Him, because we, we adhere to Him, we have this faith, He will help us to keep going because we understand that we are under His control because He controls it all and we trust Him for anything and everything. And so we see that, that even though these good things were happening in the church of Tyatira, even though we know that all these are, 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 are happening, they were still falling short. Or should I say, they were deliberately allowing or tolerating sin to continue. That's when we get to verse 20. See, he tells them, hey man, I am the Son of God. I see everything. I judge. I, I, I will stand firm and judge. All those things, I see your works, I see your love, I see your service, I see, I see your faith, I see all these things, and you're growing in those things, but <laughs> I have a few things against you, and he has to bring this up. Despite all the good things that Jesus saw in the church, there was a serious problem happening, and he could not overlook it because he sees it all. Now, it's interesting because we see that he gives them time, but now it's time for judgment. It's time to, to write it down and tell them, hey, it's getting down to the nitty-gritty. And I know that churches are not perfect, and I understand that. And I, don't, I, I, I know that Jesus knows that. <laughs> churches are not perfect. Why? Why do I know that? Because Greg's here. And when Greg's, we know that. No, not really. Not just because Greg, because you're all here. <laughs> I just didn't want to pick on you all you guys. No. Because when I walk in this door, I understand that churches are not perfect. Because I'm not perfect. 
And I know Jesus knows all that. You see, a church can look so good and so busy on the outside and yet still allow sin to fester inside the church. And it destroys the church. You see, and, and, and we could talk about the local church as a whole, but you see how every morning I kind of, hey, good morning, church. You are the church. <laughs> and oftentimes we do look good on the outside. Thank you. Um, but um, <laughs> we, we try and look good on the outside. But oftentimes there is sin that is festering and we know about it. And we've allowed it to continue. We tolerate it because it's like, not perfect. You know that, God. Not perfect. You know my flesh is so weak. Scripture says that. But we forget the first part of that, that the Spirit is willing. (laughs) But see, it destroys the church. It destroys us as individuals being the church, but it destroys the church when we allow sin to fester as we see that was happening here. He's saying a lot of good things. I see it. Don't, don't, don't sweat it. I see it. But there's something that I have to deal with. What Jesus had against the church of Tyra, Tyra is that woman Jezebel. Now Jezebel from the OT was, an evil, was the evil wife of Ahab, king of Israel. Jezebel was the daughter of the king of Sidon. And, and when she married Ahab, she introduced and made popular the worship of the pagan god Baal. She had, she had brought that in with her because this Israel king married her and brought her in. And Baal was the fertility god. And the worship of Baal involved obscene sexual practices. Ahab even built a temple for Baal. I know some people say Baal. So whichever way you want to say it, be that as it may. But there was about 800 false prophets and priests of Baal in the city of Samaria in Israel. It had become a big thing because of Jezebel introducing it. Now, some think that there was some woman in the church named Jezebel in the church of Tyatira. And some also believe that it may have been the pastor's wife. And that she had proclaimed herself a prophetess in the church. And one can see that. that, that that's a possibility of that happening. Not likely, but it's a possibility that there was an actual woman named Jezebel that was there. But more than likely it was, as it is still today, a title for a woman who seduces. You know, people, oh, that Jezebel. She gets around. <laughs> oh, that Je- You younger kids probably going like, oh, we've never heard it. But it's a saying, you know, it, it, it's, it's equivalent to somebody who is a backstabber being called a Judas. Somebody who turns on somebody, oh, he's just a Judas. So it's quite possible that this is just the title of what's going on in the church of Tyatira. You see, Tyatira was known as the worldly church, the corrupt church, 
the idolatrous church. And I told you earlier, there was a lot of guilds and unions attached to Tyre, Tyre. And this is where the church was linked up to the world. They had this close connection. In, in order to make a living in Tyatira, the people were required to join a guild or a union. And because most of those people were pagans, their union meetings looked more like orgies. There, there was a lot of sexual immorality going on there. There was a lot of eating things that were offered to idols. Much like a lot of, from what I hear, Christmas parties that a lot of companies have. <laughs> they get a little crazy. And so these meetings were very perverted. And this Jezebel, whether it was a man or a woman, it, it, it kind of points to a sect that was part of the church, a false teaching that was happening in this church that it, this Jezebel, endorsed idolatry. The worship of something or someone other than God saying, it's okay if you need to make a living, you got to go do these kinds of things. So go on with your bad self. Go commit uh, spiritual fornication. We need to be careful even today that we don't fall into or allow someone to draw us into spiritual fornication to commit idolatry. As I was thinking about this, it's like, how is that possible? Well, and, and you know, and again, man, I, I started thinking, what, what if I said, hey, as a church, man, it's okay. It's okay if you're, if you're living with someone. It, you know, we're living in a different time. It's okay if you're committing adultery. It's okay if you're committing fornication. It's okay, you know, it's like, hey, man, here's my blessing. Go ahead and have a few beers or smoke a few, you know, smoke a little bit to take the edge off. You know, if, 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 if your, your work requires you to, to lie and to steal, well, you know, you've got to make a living. You know, how, how, how would you be going like, oh, wow, hey, man, thanks, Pastor, for giving me the heads up that I can go do that. Where, where it's contrary to what the Word of God says in a lot of these areas. And I know some of those areas might be gray, but nah. It just wouldn't seem right that a pastor would, would, would give the okay for some of these things that would cause you to sin, that, that, that would hinder your, 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 your mind or your heart and say, well, it, it's, it's not that big of a deal. And I know some might think, well, that, that, that wouldn't happen today. Really? There's a lot of liberal churches. <laughs> There's a lot of people that are saying, well, hey, that's up to you. Can't help that. It's like, no, why don't you exhort them? Why don't you encourage them? Why don't you even rebuke them with the Word of God? <laughs> to say no. Because I, I would venture to say that it is happening more today than ever before within the Christian circles. And some Christians don't even think twice about some of the things that they're allowing, that they're saying, well, you know, it's, it's not a big deal. But I'm sure the children of Israel, when, Je uh, when Jezebel came into town, didn't, didn't think that they would eventually be in the temple of Baal, bowing down and committing sexual immorality and spiritual fornication. 
much like I'm sure this small church of Tyatira didn't never thought that they would be in this place where Jesus says, hey, I have a few things against you. I need to, to, I need to bring it up. This, this Jezebel was encouraging and maybe even prophesying as the self-proclaimed prophetess that the men should go to these union meetings and submit to the culture. Just a little bit. If you want to make a living, you not you need to submit to this kind of culture, to where they would fall into sin. Business is business, right? <laughs> People have to make a living, right? Christians back then, as today, say things like that when they are exercising or justifying unethical business practices and or immoral business practices. Hey, got to do what you got to do. An ancient writer by the name of Tertullian, he wrote about Christians who were having to make a living in trades in connection with pagan idolatry. He says this, a painter might find work in pagan temples or a sculptor might be hired to make a statue of a pagan god. They would justify this by saying, this is my living. Tertullian replied, must you live? Must you live? Really, there's nothing else you could do. Must you live doing those things? It, it, it was hard hitting when I when I found this quote because it's like oftentimes it's like well what else what else can I do it's like I don't know <laughs> I don't know but but if you have to compromise your scruples if you have to compromise your convictions your beliefs because this word allow in verse twenty is the word tolerate and this church or the people of this church had to make decisions about their livelihood. And if their Christian principles or convictions or beliefs got in the way, then that is what was supposed to go. Set that aside, and that was what Jezebel was endorsing. We understand what the Word of God is saying, but you got to make a living. Must you live? See, that, that, that's, that's hard because oftentimes in our lives when we are out in the workforce there's a lot of unethical things that are going on and if you don't play by those rules then people call you out on it. And here's the tough thing when you know what the scriptures say and call you to do as an employee or even employer and you're trying to do the right thing and all the people are going, dude, you're making us look bad by doing what you're supposed to be doing. I know, but it's like, dude, just chill a little bit. <laughs> you see, these people either had to grin or bear it or fa face the consequences of losing their livelihood. And that's tough. And this is where we find ourselves today. Because Jezebel is just as strong today, it is a powerful force because it messes with our livelihood just like it messed with them. 
because of her threats and her wrath. (laughs) It's interesting because when you see Jezebel in the Old Testament, the real Jezebel, she's on the scene, and her husband Ahaz, I mean, he wants this plot of land, and he's going, "Uh uh-huh, but somebody owns it. She goes, well, take it. It's yours. I know, but it belongs to him. So she has that guy killed. It's like, here, here's here's your land. Do whatever you want. She, she, she has all these priests of, of, of Baal there and, and the prophet Elijah, who Elijah is like the man, right? He is like, dang, man, that guy's amazing, man. He goes and fights these, these guys as far as like spiritual. It's like call down fire from heaven from your God and I'll call fire from heaven from my God and, and we'll see what happens. And bam, you know the story. He wins because he's on God's side. And he kills these 450 prophets of Baal. And guess what? You would think it's like, yeah, what? Jezebel says, hey, by tomorrow, you're going to be like those cats. You're going to die. I'm going to kill you tomorrow, by tomorrow. And guess what? He runs for hundreds of miles. And for about three months, he is on the run. And I'm thinking, you're kidding me, bro? Over a woman? It's like, yeah, she was crazy. She was super crazy. There's, there's a saying, I, I, it's something about a woman scorned or something, but you don't want to be involved in that. And he didn't. I'm thinking, but you're Elijah, bro. And yet he ran because of her threats, because of her wrath. You see, she is no joke. She's no joke today <laughs> because it messes with our livelihood and what God tells us, no, don't. And you're going, but God, I, what, what do I do here? The pressure is hard. Let me read to you verses 21 to 23 through the Amplified. It says in verse 21, it says, I gave her time to repent, but she had no desire to repent of her immorality, symbolic of idolatry, and refused to do so. Take note, verse 22. Take note, I will throw her on a bed of anguish, and those who commit adultery with her, her paramours, I will, get, I will bring down to pressing distress and severe affliction unless they turn away their minds from, con, their, from conduct such as hers and repent of their doings. Verse 23, And I will strike her children, her proper followers, dead, thoroughly exterminating them. And all the assemblies, churches, shall recognize and understand that I am he who searches minds, the thoughts, feelings, and purposes, and the uh, inmost hearts. And I will give to each of you the reward for what you have done as your work deserves. Here we see the mercy of God. Here we see the judgment of God. You see, the Lord, and, and I say that because he always He allows time for repentance, no matter who. People, oh, he's just on God. I could guarantee you, if there's a judgment coming, he had given them time to repent. Just like he gives us time to repent when we are in disobedience and he's wooing us, calling us, saying, repent. And we're going, but God, but God, but God. And then something happens in our life as a discipline or or, or a consequence. We're going, why are you so mean? Right? No, he is a just God. Even to Jezebel, he was a just God. Even to this church, he says, I gave them time to repent, but they had no desire to repent. 
no desire. God is long-suffering, but His Word also tells us in Genesis 6-3, He will not always strive with man. She did not want to repent. This Jezebel had no desire to change her ways. And God was not going to force her to repent because He never forces us to repent. He, he allows us time. But because He won't force her, now judgment. And there will be no recourse, no remedy, no way out without repentance. The, the, the sexual immorality that was occurring was more than likely in the physical sense. Because of the pagan worship. It was a natural thing. People were doing this all the time. But it was also a spiritual, um, a, a spiritual thing in that they were becoming or being unfaithful. There was unfaithfulness towards, towards the Lord in this church. From some of the people. Not all of them, but some of the people. And it almost sounds like most of the people, but some of them were keeping themselves. But we know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump. And, and even those who were trying to stay pure and on track were being affected by this because of all the sin that they were allowing. It says that this Jezebel was teaching and seducing the servants of God into sexual immorality. And they, even they, didn't want to repent. She didn't want to repent from hers, and they didn't want to repent from theirs. And in essence, Jesus tells her... <laughs> You want a bed <laughs> to do your nasty things? <laughs> I'll give you a bed. I'll give you the bed of affliction, anguish. I'll throw you in a bed. In other words, don't mess with Jesus. When, when he gives you time to repent, repent. Or else he might just give you over to your own desires. And I can guarantee you they won't be what you thought they would be. You see, it's much easier, much better to humble ourselves and repent than have to go through the woodshed of God. Oh, he'll take you there. The Bible tells us whatever a man sows, that he will also reap in Galatians 6, 7 through 9. Those who would not repent were going to suffer the consequences. The wrath of God. You, you don't want to be under the wrath of God in any way. I mean, there, there's a difference between the, the discipline of God and the wrath of God. But you don't want to be on either side. If God gives us time to repent, repent. It's, 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 a, lot, it's a lot easier to humble yourself than to be humbled by God. And I, I believe God would rather pardon than punish, but he's not afraid to punish. He's not. He says... In verse 23, I will kill her children with death. A man by the name of John Trapp, who, who lived in the 1600s, said this about this statement. All men die, but all are not killed with death. Oh, it is a woeful thing to be killed with death. <laughs> I don't know what this killing of death means. But whoa, I, that's not the way you want to die. God will allow judgment to discipline. But he will also use judgment as an example for others. And if we don't learn from examples of others, then we ourselves will learn the, those lessons. Thinking, well, they got away with it. 
Maybe I will. That all the churches shall know. You see, it is a fearful thing to fall under the hands of the living God, Hebrews tells us. There's a fear that should, be, that should accompany our lives. You see, in Jeremiah 17.10, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his, work, his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. He says at the end of verse 23, And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now you can take that in the positive sense or the negative sense, but because of the way the next verse starts, I, I think it's the negative sense. He's still talking to those who will not repent because in verse 23 or 24 he says, But to you, I say, to the rest in Tyatira. So it's almost like this is what I'm going to do so everybody can know and see. But to you, you little faithful ones, it's almost like he turns his attention back on those who, who had stood for their Christian principles, their Christian convictions and beliefs, who had not compromised or corrupted their faith. He, he turns back to them and he commends them for not, or commends them for not following the doctrine of Jezebel and for not knowing the depths of Satan. The NIV puts that portion, it says, Satan's so-called deep secrets. He commends them for not going that direction. These few understood and adhered to maybe what Paul had said in 1 Corinthians 2, but God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit teaches us all things, yes, the deep things of God. These faithful believers, I'm sure they were not blind to Jezebel. They weren't blind to what Satan was, was throwing out there. They saw what Jesus saw. But they, they stood firm like Jesus would stand firm against sin. This, this few. You see, these few that were there did not have the opportunity. They, they, they couldn't just leave that little church of Tyatira and go to the church down the street because there was one church in Tyatira. They didn't have the ability to just leave that one because I don't like what's going on. I've got to go somewhere else. It's like, no, those few were going to stay there and stand for their faith even against those from within that were teaching and endorsing immorality. They weren't going to go anywhere. They were going to stand and be faithful even if they lost their livelihood. Must you live? <laughs> they said, no, we don't. We'll die. We'll die if we have to. Jesus says to them, I will put on you no other burden. In other words, I won't burden you with anything else. Just hang on, as verse 25 says. Just hang on. But hold fast to what you have till I come, Jesus says to them. Hold fast. If you want to see what the depths of Satan is all about, you can read first or Second Timothy chapter three, the first nine verses of what Satan has just done, even within the church, as he's writing to Timothy. But he says, "Hang in there, be strong, till I come. Don't let these things affect you, even if you lose your livelihood." 
till I come. I mean, he, he is referring probably to his second coming, but I wouldn't, wouldn't put it past him saying, until I rapture you out of here. Until I take you out. Hang on. Within the scope of church history, as I've been trying to share this with you, uh, this church was probably in the times of, of, of from the 6th century to the 16th century. There was a big, long time. Maybe that's why he wrote a lot to them. But there was a thousand years that is referred to as the devil's millennium. We know it more as the Dark Ages, also known as the Middle Ages. And it was a time when the church had become uh, so corrupted. They, they were combining a lot of the pagan rites into their Christian teachings. They were introducing all these kinds of, of things. Many pagan practices and heathen rituals were introduced into the churches at the time. Using Christian terminology and things like that. And, and again, a lot of people would look at this and say, Oh, that's when the Catholic Church, man, kind of came into being. And a lot of that stuff was happening, and it's quite possible. Images began to be worshipped in churches. Various practices of priests, which were unknown to other people, but they had their little secret things going on. The control of political power was huge in the church. The church... They, they, they even dominated some of the emperors and kings. And this is where, again, the Pope and, and a lot of these things came into being. And so a lot of people look at the Church of Thyatira in history when the Catholic Church came in and began to do all these practices that are even with us today. As in the days of the Church of Thyatira, through the Middle Ages and even today, Jezebel exists. Jesus will give the believers power to overcome. Not just then, but now. Not just now, but in the future, in the millennial time as well. You see, Jesus will offer himself to you. Each and every day, he offers himself to us through his word to learn more about him and live more like him and be more like him. But in the end, Jesus will give us more of himself because he is the bright and morning star. Revelation twenty-two sixteen, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Must we live? You know, our livelihoods are really important. I understand that. I'm not taking that lightly. But if you're being convicted for certain practices and certain things that you allow in your life, Jesus will give you that time to repent. And if you don't, then he will deal with it. He really will. But see, he's telling those faithful few, hey, trust me, hang in there. I will give you more of me. You see, sometimes within the Christian community today, it's like, that's just not enough right now, Lord. Because <laughs> I have all these bills, and I have all these things, and I have all this coverage, and I have all these things that I need to do. And again, it's not an easy time. It's not an easy time that we live in. 
and our hope should not be in the political sense or even in the religious sense, but in Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, once again, we're so grateful, Lord, for your word. Lord, I know there's so much more that we could possibly cover in this church of Tyatira, Lord. There's so much, Lord God, that you have spoken even to me about that the time would not just allow us to continue on. But Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord. Lord, not, not because of what I said, but because of what your word has told us, the message that has been brought out today. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord. I know there's a lot of, a lot of anguish going on in people's hearts, even right now. But Lord, I, I truly believe that that is your conviction. Not, not because of what I've said, but, be, but because of what your word has told us. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord. The struggles that they're battling even at work to make a livelihood for their families. Some of the things that you've convicted them of already, Lord, and they have not repented. And I pray that this morning you would remind them that you will give them more of you no matter what happens. Lord, it is. It's a, it's a hard pill to swallow, Lord. But I pray that, God, you would help my brothers and sisters to be faithful to you no matter what the Jezebels say. That they would be faithful to you. Encourage them. Father, please watch over them as they leave this, this building Lord, and contemplate some of the things that we've already said. Those who don't know you, who maybe are saying, ah, I don't know if I want to trust in the God who tells me I need to give everything up. Lord, convict their hearts as well. Bring them to yourself. Lord.